Um, let's um, let's pray and then we'll um, we'll get started. There's there are some handouts in the back um, there. You may have seen them. Okay. So uh, let's all let's all begin with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, look into your truths about confessions and creeds and the importance of them. We ask this morning that you would give us uh, wisdom about what your word says and how we ought to use confessions and creeds. And after our time together, we ask that you would grow us and strengthen us so that the rest of this day and this week, we'd have a better appreciation of what your word says about these things. We give all glory and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, this is Lesson 62, Confessions of the Church and Creeds. And um, our main idea or the big thought that we're going to be considering is, is that confessions and creeds are important because they clarify what the Bible teaches. Um, and so that is our main thought. And if you look at Jude, Jude chapter 3 reads, uh, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered delivered uh, to the saints, as you see there, Jude 3. So uh, what we're studying here about confessions and creeds, it just reinforces what the word already says. And so that is the importance of the confessions and creeds. Uh, we define the word creeds defined like this. It's a system or religious belief. Um, it's a faith. And then confessions uh, is, a, is a manual of Christian doctrine drawn up in the form of essays. Confessions are typically written in a chapter format and grouped according to a particular subject. There are a great number of proof texts which provide the scriptural basis for each subject. Now the importance of creeds and confessions is, is, is like, like this, so we can maybe think about it in this, th these terms. It's relatively easy to produce a statement of faith in isolation or position paper uh, on a narrow subject with contributions from elders from a local church. So for example, our elders here could develop a statement of faith, a position paper, um, even though I would say that it does take us a long time to do position papers here at Delray, but even still, it may take us, you know, maybe six months, nine months or whatever, we hammer it out. However, it is more theologically challenging though to gather many church leaders from multitude of churches, normally from the same denomination, however, at times from different denominations, for the purpose of hammering out serious doctrinal positions, particularly when clarifying critical, essential Christian doctrines that are being fiercely debated at that time. And only those confessions and creeds that withstand intense biblical scrutiny will endure. So you can find in, in scripture uh, various creeds. I'll give you an example. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, where it reads, He said to them, 
this is Jesus talking, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So here Peter says to Jesus what he believes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Creaser also believes that Christians have often embraced for thousands of years, an example is the Apostles' Creed, right? And it begins like this. I believe in God the Father Almighty. So it is a belief statement. Now, confessions are different in that they're normally longer. Uh, explain a little bit more. Um, confessions are found in scriptures like in Acts chapter 15, uh, in the verses 4 through 6, which shows us that the apostles and elders gathered to consider what the confession would be for the Gentiles in Antioch. And later in Acts 15, 22, the confession is explained. So verses 4 through 6 of Acts 15 reads like this. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them to, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the, and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So they got together. They said, let's pause. Okay, there's a question. How are we going to handle this? So confessions are also doctrinal position statements that sought to explain what Christians acknowledge the scriptures to say. So again, we have creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, and then we have confessions like one that we subscribe to here, which is the Second London Baptist Confession, which is the 1689 Confession of Faith. So those are examples. All right, so let's look at any questions um, at this point. Okay, and there are handouts there in the back, right over there, to your, to your right. All right, so this part here, the importance of creeds and confessions, we'll look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Uh, could someone read verses 4 through 6 for us? Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Mm-hmm. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. All right, so this is explaining in detail um, what we ought to think about uh, the Lord. Okay, it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Uh, the scripture contains many other creed or belief statements. Here are a few. In Ruth, verses one, chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth says, uh, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will, will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's a creed. She's saying this is what she believes. In Deuteronomy 6.4, we see something similar. 6.4 and 5, I'll just read verse 4. Here are Israel, the Lord our God is one. Another creed of belief statement. Matthew 16.16. 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We just talked about that. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, we see here, For I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. All right, so these are creed statements, and they're important. And then we have also longer confessions of faith. I'm not going to read this or ask you all to read this, but Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 14, going down to verse 40, we see Peter giving a very extended play explanation of what is important to believe. So it's more than a creed, it's, more, it's actually a confession of faith that he's explaining. Another one that is very long that we will not read here, but you can read later, is Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 50. This is Stephen here, who under persecution is explaining a long confession of what he believes. And he goes into great detail in verses 1 through 50 there. So those are important markers for us to see the distinction between creeds and confessions and to see the value of creeds and confessions and to see that the scriptures give us examples of creeds uh, and confessions. Uh, so any, any questions at this point on any of that? Okay. All right. So we're going to look at the improper use of creeds and confessions. Uh, if someone uh, could read Galatians, maybe just verse 8 would be fine. I mean, verses 6 through 12 is what we're going to focus on, but even reading of just verse 8 will be fine. Galatians 1 8. That even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So we see here that Paul is saying, okay, we have given the gospel to you. If you hear anything that's different than that, do not accept that. Right? And then we'll go further here. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So we just heard um, Christiana just talk about in Galatians 1.8 about if you hear something different. And then we see here in Acts 15.1, this thing about one needing to be circumcised according to the custom of Mo Moses to be saved. So this would not be accurate. This is not what they were teaching. Um, this is not what they were given by our Lord. Here's another example here in Acts chapter 23, verse 8. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. That's, that's, that's Acts 23, 8. So... We see here the Sadducees, and some say they're sad, you see, right? They, they play on words, right? Some people say that. But what we see here is that they believe there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. Now, that is a, that's a creed. You can say, okay, well, there is no resurrection. It's not true. And so there would be an improper use of a belief statement to say 
that one needs to be circumcised to be saved or to say that there is no resurrection. That would be an improper use or a false uh, confession. So while it is easy or somewhat easy to dismiss a creed, which is a belief a statement of belief or and a confession, which is a longer form, more specifically um, explains these things that we ought to believe. And so, in we want to avoid the error of um, understanding something that someone says that does not line up with Scripture. And so, there is a more subtle problem when holding tight, too tightly to a well-drafted, widely accepted creed and confession. So there are some churches that refer to their confession of faith as much as they do their Bible. So there are some churches where they may say, okay, well, I'm a Westminster Church um, confession of faith, or I'm a, I'm a um, Bap- London's Baptist confession of faith church. And in those churches, some members get the impression that their confession of faith should be of equal value and importance to them as their Bible. In fact, I've actually heard some Christians say that they walk around with their 1689 or their Westminster uh, just to be prepared to answer questions of what they believe. And that might be okay. However, I would rather walk around with my Bible and say I know the answers from that. Um, Others will state that they believe in God in a manner in which their favorite creed replaces church membership. These are also improper uses of creeds and confessions. Creeds and confessions of faith are not supposed to replace scripture church attendance, and meaningful fellowship with believers in Christ. While it is helpful that churches from time to time explain creeds and confessions to which they subscribe, they should do so sparingly and refer to them sparingly. So in the other direction, so that's one, so one, one error is too much of an emphasis on a creed or confession. The other direction is some churches that ascribe to, um, to creeds and confessions should not do so in a manner in which members are not even aware that they exist in their church. Um, so it should not be that someone is at Delray and doesn't know that we are a confessional church. Um, they should not be here and think, okay, we're not a church that believes in creeds. We, we subscribe to the Apostles' Creed, for example. Uh, placing too much emphasis on a creed or confession is dangerous just as, as, as placing too little importance on them can equally be problematic. Uh, any questions um, at that point? Okay, so we want to make sure that we put the right emphasis on creeds and confessions, which we'll get into here, which is the proper use of con- con- uh, creeds and confessions. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, verse 10. Could someone read uh, that verse? Romans 10.10, yes. Um, Romans 10.10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we see here in that verse that one believes and is justified, they believe in their heart, and with their mouth they confess. We all have to confess. Every Christian had to at some point confess their belief in Jesus. Every Christian continually confesses their belief in Jesus. The proper use of creeds and confessions articulate the essence of true Christian faith. They help identify true Christians and promote unity among true Christians. 
Uh, they define the boundaries of true Christianity. Christian confessions can help identify false Christians and help Christians rightly divide from heretics. Some may say, I believe in God, to which Christians could legitimately reply, okay, which one? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or another one? Uh, the God, man, Jesus Christ, or someone else? In other words, there's some, I would say, false teachings out there that say that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers. Okay, that is not, that's not orthodox teaching, that's not found in the Bible. Uh, there's also false teaching out there that, um, that the Trinity, okay, that you have that the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they just change modes. Okay, that is false. The Bible teaches a Father, Son, and Spirit, and we know that the Trinity is expressed all throughout Scripture. So again, confessions and creeds kind of help us to identify who it is we say that we believe in. There are a lot of folks running around saying they believe in Jesus, but do they believe in the Jesus uh, of the Bible? So when, when creeds and confessions are properly used, they are used with scriptures in a manner in which they support what the scripture already states. Creeds and confessions may be corrected by the scriptures. Now catch that. So there may be a creed or a confession that actually the scriptures will correct. That's probably why there's so many of them, if you think about it. You know, there, there are a lot of, I think about maybe 18, 19 confessions that I could uh, find. There are probably more. Uh, well, why are there so many? Well, probably because, you know, the Presbyterian is going to write theirs this way, the Baptist is going to write theirs this way, you know, with little nu nuance, and you can look at the scriptures. The scriptures are the plumb line, or it's the, it's, it's the basis, it's the foundational point. So while creeds and confessions may be corrected by the scriptures, um, the Bible is our most supreme writing that we have. Our creeds and confessions can aid us in summarizing our beliefs and doctrinal positions, which always must yield to what already exists in God's word. A Christian may believe in a creed or confession in large part, but not agree on every position contained in a creed or confession and still be a Christian. Apostles' Creed uh, says something to the effect of, um, and Jesus descended into hell, right? Okay, so, that, so there are some Christians who, they wrestle with that. Well, what does that, what does that mean? Well, you, one can subscribe to that and be a Christian, and one can not subscribe to that and be a Christian, right? Or a confession, like in our Baptist um, Confession of 1689, where it says the Pope is Antichrist. Well, okay, well, you can believe that and still be a Christian, and you can not believe that and still be a Christian, and still hold to the creed. So you can still hold to the creed if you're not comfortable with in Jesus descending into hell. If you're not comfortable with that, you can say, I subscribe to the Apostles' Creed, but that part there, I'm wrestling with that. I don't even think that is theologically accurate. Or you can say, I think it is theologically accurate, and that's fine. Or the confession, you could say, well, uh, the Pope is not the Antichrist, but, I, but I'm a 1689 Baptist confession guy. I just don't like that part. Okay, you can do that, but you can't do that with the Bible. Okay, so that's, that's the, the distinction. Every single word in this Bible here that we've been given, we have to take in, we have to agree with, we have to see it as the infallible word of God once delivered to the saints for our salvation, sanctification, 
and understanding that Christ will return. So this is non-negotiable. Confessions and creeds can kind of push and pull with. Okay. Any questions on that? All right. The next section here, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. I'm not sure uh, which theologian uh, coined that phrase, but I, I know that it's been popularly said. Um, Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50 teaches us that we are to strive for theological unity when we can. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture, verses 49 and 50 here, where it says this. This is Luke 9, 49. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Not one of us. He's not a, not a Baptist or he's not a, not a Lutheran. He's not a Methodist or whatever, right? But Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. It's a very interesting reply. What, the Presbyterians, they're doing that over there and that's okay? Well, yeah, it's okay. You know. Or the Baptists are doing that? Yeah, that's, that's okay. Creeds and confessions should always point the Christian to essentials. Creeds, and, creeds provide Christians with essential Christian doctrine within a brief statement that is normally broad. Creeds also usually allow for liberty with many non-essentials within Christianity because it, its purpose is to briefly demonstrate what it is to be a Christian in the most basic terms. Confessions of faith normally get into the weeds of theological positions, while confessions also leave room for liberty. Their particular purpose is to provide deeper clarity on specific theological questions that creeds are not meant to explain. So for example, if you take the Apostles' Creed and you take the London Baptist Faith and Confession 1689, well, obviously, one is really long and one is really short, right? So, so creeds and confessions often serve the same purpose, while creeds are more brief and confessions are more detailed. Any questions on any of that? All right. So the second part here, creeds. We're going to talk about creeds for a little bit. Creeds are intentionally broad. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18 we see here, it teaches us that creeds are intentionally broad and are usually enough for the individual to be saved who subscribes to that creed or expresses that creed. We see verses 15 through 18. I'll read that real quickly. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we see here what he said was enough for him to be saved. There are many other examples in scripture of belief statements that are sufficient unto salvation. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, who made a belief statement that showed they belonged to God when they were confronted with death in a fiery furnace. Think of the thief on the cross who, was asked, who, who asked Jesus to remember him when he went into his kingdom. Both of these statements, while they were, are slightly different, demonstrate what they believed. There are many other belief statements in the scriptures that on the face of them are broad and brief. 
those statements are an indicator of a change that God has done in someone's heart. Just like those brief statements and even actions on believers, they give an indication that someone is saved. Creeds serve the same purpose. Most creed statements we as Christians believe in and state the hope that we have in Jesus. That is why they are intentionally broad. That's the first part. Second part is creeds are normally shorter statements. John 3.16, right? We all know John 3.16. It teaches us that God loved his people so much that he sent his son to rescue us from the wrath to come. And creeds are often easy to remember because they are short. John 3.16 is a brief Bible verse that Christians for thousands of years have embraced as a statement of their faith. It is short. It's easy to remember. There are other brief verses that Christians have embraced as an anchor to their faith. In the same way, Christian, I mean, creeds uh, are brief belief statements that Christians have embraced as their own in their belief in Christ. So remember that Christianity has been mostly an oral tradition and faith until the invention of the printing press around the 15th century, right? So the oral nature of Christianity is such that Christians share the gospel with sinners and then make a profession of faith. You may talk to your cousin and then you walk them through the scriptures and you're orally get, giving the gospel and then they're, they're nodding their head, they're, you see the work and then, and then you may pray with them. I mean, it's, it's, it's orally communicated, orally exchanged, um, and you're walking through it with someone um, through discussion and then through prayer. Often creeds, like the Apostles' Creeds, were historically recited just before baptism, and some churches still use them in that way today. Now, the next part is what we believe, even broadly, matters. And I think that, you know, we read Galatians 1.8 here um, a few moments ago. Paul is uh, concerned that the Galatians in verses 6 through 12, that they're wavering off of what they have been given. The extent to which our beliefs about God and man should be brought is basic. God is our creator. He is one. He is triune. He is sovereign. He is our redeemer. All life must submit to him. Man is created. Man is born in sin. Man cannot redeem himself. Man can be saved from God's wrath by admitting his sin, accepting the finished work that Jesus Christ completed on the cross as he took on the punishment that we deserved upon himself. Man can be saved by placing his faith in Christ alone for his redemption. And knowing that it is by God's grace alone that he is saved, Jesus is returning to make all things new. These are all truths that we must believe. Now, if you're in this room, um, maybe you came in and you're not a Christian, you just a friend brought you, or, or you just came in off the street and you just wanted to sit in on a class. If you are hearing this now and you're pondering this right now, that is God's spirit encouraging you to hear these words. These truths can apply to you as well. So if you are feeling that internal tug, if you're, if you're considering this, I would ask you to listen to that and to respond to that and that you would ask the Lord to show you these truths. He can save you right where you're sitting 
right now from the penalty of your sin. And anyone in this room can pray with you or can walk uh, with you uh, as you are considering this now. Uh, so in a basic way, um, it may be understood that these creeds, even though they're somewhat broad and brief, is vitally important to grasp the core es essential essence of Christianity. Right? We talked about the nature of God. Right? We talked about the nature and the plight of man. These things are broad, broad, broad understandings, broad concepts, brief concepts, but they're essential ones. And without this broad understanding of the gospel, one cannot be a Christian. All right, any questions on any of that? All right. This next part here. Creeds help Christians understand the broad original intent of what God has said. And so we can look at Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It teaches us that all scriptures point to Christ being the fulfillment of the promises in the Bible, which lets us know that in a broad and brief manner, the original intent of what God has already said can be grasped. And we see in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is Jesus walking with a few disciples. And then he began to explain, he asked them a, a few questions about what had been going on. And then he explains all these things point to Jesus. Creeds help us to under, broadly understand who created everything. They help us to understand the role of Jesus Christ. They help us to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. They help us to understand that sin is man's greatest problem. They help us to understand that Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath that was due to us by taking it upon himself. They help us to realize that Christ is coming again to make all things new. In these broadest of terms possible, the creeds convey the original intent of what God has shared with his people. The original intent is found in the scriptures. The brief nature of the creeds allows one who believes in the creed to have a general grasp of major doctrines that are needed for one's soul to be redeemed. All right. Any questions? Yes. State the question again. Would you say that all creeds are going to be normally just a direct verse in the Bible since they're brief? More, yes, I would say yes. I would say that creeds, because of their brief nature, okay. um, you can probably draw a direct line from the creed statement to a Bible verse. Gotcha. You know, um, I believe in God the Father. Well, you can go right to a Bible verse right there, right? You know, so so because of the brief nature of um, of creeds, almost every single line in a creed, you can probably go directly to a, a Bible verse and 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 see the supporting evidence of that. Yeah. All right. Confessions. They are intentionally longer. Uh, let's look at Acts 15, verses 4 through 6. I think we've covered this already. It teaches us that in the first century church, it was critical to address disputes and settle matters by using the word of God. So we see what was going on there. There was a question. There was tension, a dispute. Do we go this way or that way? How do we handle this? 
So while some people may not consider the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 to have a final outcome of a confession of faith, it did lay the foundation for confessions of faith in subsequent years and centuries to come. It had, it had all of the elements needed to produce a confession of faith. It had conflict over essential doctrine regarding salvation. It had two distinct groups, both of which who they thought they had good standing to say that they were saying the correct way. All right, it also had a gathering or a coming together of many people, in this case, many of the apostles there and the elders there, to discuss the matter. It resulted in a ruling or decision based on what God has already said. This is why the historic confessions of faith are usually lengthy. From the earliest recorded confessions of faith dating back to the canons of the Council of Orange in 1529 A.D. to the Baptist faith, uh, Confession of Faith in 689, most of these confessions of faith were responding to some conflict or dispute. The length of the doc documents provided clarity regarding the issues that were in dispute at that time. Some confessions of faith were more controversial as they were dealing with matters of sharp disagreement and others served more as just a clarifying document that ultimately were not much different than the previous confession of faith. An example of that is the Westminster and the 1689 Baptist Confession which the Presbyterians say well we had ours first and you just kind of took ours and tweaked it a little bit which okay that's probably true um, you know so, and so that's more of a clarifying um, confession. Okay. Next, confessions are normally more narrow in their doctrinal positions. The Jerusalem Council addressed the narrow issue of mandating circumcision and the keeping of the law as essential to salvation. That was, that was at the heart of their issue. It addressed the narrow issue of justification by faith alone, by grace alone by Christ alone. That was an error issue of the day that would late, be later addressed in subsequent confessions of faith. So just like at that time, over the last 2,000 years, a multitude of narrow, specific matters of doctrinal dispute have arisen and resulted in confessions of faith. These confessions of faith serve to provide all with specific doctrinal positions. These specific positions provide Christians with clear language that allows church members an opportunity to know specifically what the church and denomination believes about the Bible. Now this next section here, what we confess even narrowly matters. So then we look at the same chapter, Acts 15, right? Verses 28 and 29. Let's read that briefly. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit or seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality if you keep yourselves from these you will do well farewell so we see that the outcome of the Jerusalem Council was a decision that was filled with freedom in Christ so that's what confessions are supposed to do. They're supposed to be freeing us from con confusion or uh, disagreement. It's supposed to add clarity. 
because they had freedom in Christ. This narrow decision had a tremendous impact on the new Christians in Acts. Imagine if you're one of those folks. Like you're, you hear the gospel. You hear that your sins can be forgiven. You have this weight of guilt and shame of the things that you've done or the things that you've thought or the things that you planned on doing that were just so evil. And Jesus can free you of the So You're like, wow, I'm unshackled. I'm free. And then here come, okay, well, well, actually you should be circumcised. And actually there's a few more things that you just kind of, you know, and then you start wondering like, okay, well, okay. So I heard that over here, that I can be free in Christ. And then I'm hearing over here, I got to do this stuff. So, so now you're thinking you're probably confused. But this gathering here freed them. If you're one of those folks there, you probably said, ah, okay, I just have to believe in Jesus and believe in his word. Okay, okay, all right. And it probably was freeing to them. So today we believe in many things about our Christian walk. Often we do not even think about the impact of our, of our beliefs. Every aspect of what Christians think about their particular church's creeds and confessions will dictate how they live for Christ. What we believe will drive us in one direction or another. What we believe about the word, what we believe about prayer, what we believe about church ecclesiality or, or, or poly, or what we believe about church membership or not, what we believe about a whole host of things will take us in one direction or another. This next section here, confessions helped Chris, help, help Christians from entertaining heretical and dangerous doctrines. Again, going back to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, we learn in, Gal- in Galatians that turning to another gospel is extremely dangerous. So imagine one, given the gospel, given the truth, and then there's a little tweak to that, and then someone starts going slightly in a different direction. That's dangerous. Paul uses strong language here concerning beliefs that do not align with what God has said. That is why we have confessions of faith. Confessions of faith have dealt with some of the most controversial church matters one can think of. I've counted about 15 or so major confessions of faith. There may be more, maybe 18 or 19. These confessions of faith help to keep Christians from falling into heresy as these confessions of faith have addressed challenges to Orthodox Christianity with much thought given to the implications of these opposing viewpoints. All right. Any questions on confessions? All right. We will have time for questions at the end here because I'm at the very last section here, which is helpful creeds and confessions. So you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, okay, I've never heard of a confession or I've never heard of a creed. I I rattled off a few, but you may not be familiar with them. So here's one creed. Um, and I'll just I'll read that. It's the Apostles' Creed. It's short. It's, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he, shall, he will come to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Universal Church or the Holy Catholic Church, as some of those confessions was, would, be read, would read, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That is the Apostles' Creed. So if you've never heard that before, that is a very brief, broad statement that Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Methodists, I mean, it is it's, it's broad, it's brief. You know, it hits everything that you need to believe to be a Christian. Um, and so here's a little bit of an explanation of it. Uh, as early as second century, Christians used statements of faith like the Apostles' Creed to publicly declare their faith in Christ. Usually, um, they would, as Christians, when they would run into each other, they would ask, you know, they, would, they, may, they may recite this or they may ask if you believe this. Um, although these earlier statements were found primarily in Rome, the Apostles' Creed has become a useful tool to teach believers throughout the world and throughout the centuries. So that's, that's the Apostles' Creed. Now, the London um, Baptist Confession, I'm about to read that. No, I'm just, <laughs> we'll be here all day if I read that. I'm going to do that. Um, but I'll tell you a little bit about it. Um, it was based upon and drew its inspiration from the confessions drawn up by the Westminster Assembly of Divines a generation earlier, and indeed differs only from its, in its teaching on, upon those matters such as baptism. So a hat tip to the Presbyterians, right? Uh, the Lord's Supper, church government, upon which the Reformed churches and, um, and the Baptists differ from the Presbyterians. So we do have distinctives from Presbyterians in the area of baptism, the Lord's Supper, church government. Uh, for fear of persecution, the compilers of the 1677 Confession did not subscribe their names to it. However, in September 1689, following the revolution of the previous year, the ministers and, uh, and messengers of, of the churches were able to meet in more peaceful times, 37 of them, uh, including all the most eminent Baptist ministers of the day, set their names to the recommendation and circulated among the churches. So they got together, they drew it up, circulated around the churches, and that's how you get the Second London Baptist Confession. All right, you have a New Hampshire Confession of, of Faith, which is 1833. This confession was drawn up by John Newton Brown of New Hampshire in about 1833, was, was adopted by New Hampshire Convention, and widely accepted by Baptists, especially in the northern and western states, as a clear and concise statement of faith, in harmony with doctrines of older confessions, but expressed in a milder form. There's a Baptist faith and message, um, 2000. In June 14, 2000, the Southern Baptist Convention adopted a revised summary of the, of the Southern Baptist faith. And you can find information on that in these other, if you go online, or if you want to talk to me afterwards, any of the elders, any of the members, our website, you can find these confessions of faith. So we have creeds, we have confessions. Uh, they're important. They may be new to you. But I would say that um, even though they may be new to you, they are not necessarily essential. I would say that um, I, had, I did not hear about confessions until about 2003, 2002, 2003. 
And so that's about six years into God grabbing me in 97. So I, you know, I was on fire for Christ and running hard for about six years and never heard of a confession. Um, so if you're sitting here and you're like, hey, I just got saved about a year or two ago or three years ago and I've never heard of a confession, that's not necessarily a big deal. Um, it's something that you shouldn't be necessarily afraid or intimidated by. Um, look into them and, and see what you think about them. Um, you know, I, I, w- I would even say that um, the confession that we ascribe to here, the, the Baptist Confession 1689, um, I look at a lot of those statements and even the proof text, I'm like, well, I agree with the statement, but I'm not sure that that proof text actually goes with the <laughs> statement. So you can kind of do that with the confession. You can, you can kind of wrestle with that. So if it's new to you, certainly um, dive into it. Um, read up on some of the, um, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and some of the confessions of faith. It will enrich your um, understanding of who God is and what your role as a Christian is with other believers as well. So that is an overview of creeds and confessions. We have probably about a good seven minutes for questions. That's exactly why I kind of went through this so fast, because I knew it was a lot of material, and I wanted to make sure I got through that and left time for questions. So we have a good seven minutes for questions. Yes? Um, I, too, learned of confessions like later in yeah. my Christian life, and after becoming a parent, and when I heard of creeds and confessions, I also heard catechism. Yes. Creeds, confessions, and catechism. Yes, yes. So I, it's noteworthy that catechism isn't mentioned here. I just wonder if you had any comments. Yes, so that's a good point. I mean, we use catechisms in our home, um, the Baptist catechism. At first, we used the, um, the, short, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and we were going through that um, we, with our kids, and that was... The part about baptism and stuff was kind of later in that, so we were kind of going through the, um, um, what is the chief end of man, you know, glorify God and worship him forever. Yeah, so we were going through that until I, again, I didn't even know there was a Baptist catechism. So I'm like this young guy with these kids. We have eight kids, but like, then we had like maybe three or four, and then, you know, I think it was... Mr. Begg would like would refer to the shorter catechism. I'm like, oh, okay, well, if he's talking about it, then this must be good, <laughs> you know. So I kind of would go through that with our kids, and then later I learned that there's a Baptist catechism. So okay, well, let me put that one over here. That's fine, but let's go and go over the Baptist catechism. So catechisms are fine as well. I would put them in the same categories as creeds and confessions, and maybe in teaching this next time, we can include catechisms as well because I think they are important. Um, if you've never heard the word catechism, you're sitting here, it's, it's a question-answer format. It's, it's, it's asking a big question, and then it has an answer to that question. Um, and it's easy to remember um, what I have been recently doing, because I've been going over the catechisms with our kids, even our older ones, we still go over them, um, is that I try to not have them just recite from memory, but to start diving into what does that mean. So we may go over, I'll give you an example, um, my nine-year-old. We go over the first nine. You know, first nine, okay, good night. And I'll say, what does number seven mean? And we'll, so, and we'll, we'll just start talking about what number seven is actually, the question and answer, and then deeper saying, okay, well, what does that mean to you, though? What does that really mean? 
So it's more than just a recitation of the question and answer, but the deeper meaning behind the answer. So. What was the name of the Baptist Catechism? I think it's just called the, the Baptist Catechism. And um, if you reach out to me, I can connect you with it. If you go, if you go online and type in the Baptist Catechism, it should come up. Um, I think on the founder's website, they probably have a link to it. I think I've been using that recently. So yeah, it's a little little black book and yeah, 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 absolutely. Yes. Did you talk about, um, you mentioned Del Rey is associated or subscribes to some parts of 1689 Confession. Can you yes. talk about what confessions and creeds Del Rey specifically subscribes to and how that impacts our day to day? Sure. Or does it? Sure. Uh, off of memory, I will say that we ascribe to the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, the New Hampshire Confession, 1833, the Baptist Faith and Message are confessions that we ascribe to. And then I would say as far as creeds, you will probably find the Apostles' Creed, I think the Nicene's Creed on our website. Um, I think there are more. Um, and how does it inform um, how we do life in the church? Well, I, I would say that our ecclesiology probably a look, comes out of the 1689 to some degree. Uh, probably not necessarily word for word, but it is probably a type of anchor to the church as far as what church, church life looks like. Like springboards um, for shepherd statements, you know what I mean? Because like some of the 1689 yeah. talk about the Sabbath, I believe, and I, I think we right. probably from the 1689 more right. likely to take on the Baptist faith, faith message 2000. Right. But then shepherd statements are like a further modification that's unique. Those right. Are just thoughts that I had. I don't know what you think. Sure, and I think that that's a good observation because we ascribe to both the Baptist faith and message and the 1689 and the New Hampshire, and so we probably take aspects of those, but not the whole of any. Um, and that's probably fine and safe to, to, to do that. Um, and, and actually what it does in large part too is, if there's someone who's new coming to our church and they wanna know generally speaking where we are as a church, they can look at those and see. So let's say that someone comes in from a, an Episcopal background or a Presbyterian background or a Methodist background and they're used to um, infant baptism let's just say well they can look at our they can look at our confessions and see well that's not where we are and then we can have a longer conversation about that yes can you talk to you about how our statement of faith at Delray fits into that mix it's like our statement of faith pulled from these you know, older foundations yes Yes, absolutely. So our shepherd statements, our statements of faith, they all, in some way, they would draw from those confessions or draw from the creeds. So what you will not find, and it's good that you asked that question, is that you will not find us drawing up a statement of faith or a, a um, pastoral statement, shepherd statement, that's in conflict, that's in great conflict with any of them. You know, um, it, it gets its foundational point from there. Um, but we always go back to the scripture as the main guide. So where 
where these confessions may be deficient, the scriptures are not. And so we will draw primarily from the scriptures, but in a way that is largely consistent with the confessions. Yeah, yeah. I'm right at time. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So if you have more questions about confessions and creeds, certainly you can email me. Uh, you can see me in church and say, hey, hey, you, hey, guy. Um, and, and I will, you know, get you some resources, and uh, we can connect and, and go from there. Um, so I will, um, I will close in prayer, and then we'll go worship together. Father in heaven, what a joy. Uh, it has been here this hour to just think about the goodness of your, your love toward us and the goodness of your son's sacrifice for us and the goodness of your spirit dwelling with us um, and the, just the goodness of knowing that our sins are forgiven and the goodness of knowing that all throughout the ages you've always had a remnant, you've always had a people and these people have taken your word so seriously that they even would draw up a, a creed for people to, to understand that's brief. Or they've taken the time to draw out longer confessions of faith when they see great error going on. So Lord, we thank you this morning. We're, we're happy. We are happy because we belong to you. And you just love us so much that you would give us all of these things. You're not a God who's far away. You're close. And we love you because of that. So on this morning, we praise you. We give you honor, glory, and all praise to you. Because you are our high priest. You are ever-sufficient, everlasting father. And your son has atone for our sins and and we have joy because your spirit dwells in us convicting us of sin and also teaching us and guiding us and you protect us every moment so as we go to worship here and hear from our brother uh, Garrett uh, preach to us um, change our hearts change our thoughts change our ways so that we may uh, rightly live for you and run fast doing it we give glory to you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.